Welcome to Afternoon at the Museum, a production of iRedTech Corp. Hello everyone, hello YouTube and Zoom. It is time for another Afternoon at the Museum show. I'm Janine Stanley and I am the Customer Communications director here at Ira, and I got my title totally backward, but that's okay, because it's Friday. And today, we have special guest. We have a fun destination with some really interesting history. Now, February is Black History Month here in the United States, and when you think about, <coughs> excuse me, when you think about black history, you think civil rights movement, all those things, and you think about the U.S. <coughs> and of course, I'm going to choke now because it's so exciting. <laughs> but we today are traveling down under. That's right. We are going to Australia to learn about the civil rights struggles of the Aborigines in Australia, which were greatly influenced and moved forward by the work of the civil rights movement here in the U.S., which I found really fascinating. Today, though, we do have a special guest with us all the way from Australia. We have one of our explorers, Miss Jennifer Perry. Hello, Jennifer. Good day. Good afternoon to you all. Awesome. And it is 8 o'clock in the morning where you are right now, right? <laughs> Breakfast yes, time. It is. I'm from Sydney, Australia. It's a bit just after 8 a.m. Excellent. It's Saturday. Oh, one said, that's right. That's right. I keep yep. forgetting. Wow. We also have Agent Caleb with us today. Hey, Caleb. Hey there, everybody. How's everyone doing? And we have our host of Afternoon at the Museum, the incomparable Miss Stephanie Watts. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Janine. Thanks for that kind, very long word. And <laughs> welcome, Jennifer, Caleb. And our behind-the-scenes oh, tech wizardry oh. guy, Ryan. How could I forget? Um, Everybody else checked me this week. I see how it is. <laughs> <laughs> right. and, and is the Ira Czech Corp uh, friend with us today, or is it, or is it just Ryan? No, it's just me today. <laughs> no, he no. gave oh. the robot a day off. He was afraid oh, maybe the batteries wouldn't last day. to get Look us all the that. way to Australia <laughs> today. Yeah, and no. all the way to Australia. But uh, I'm looking forward to this show, and I, I so appreciate Jennifer for um, joining us. Um, we extended the, a little bit of a late invitation. That was my um, my bad, but I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. My pleasure. So we will, at the end of the show, tell you a little bit about, I am wearing my Irish shirt today. This is kind of a new Irish shirt. So at the end of the show, we will describe the shirt and tell you how you can get an Irish shirt of your very own, should you wish to do so. So, Caleb, today we're going to kind of take a little trip to Australia, and you are uh, an Australia file, right? You, you are very interested in Australia when we were talking about doing museums here. So, um, yeah. So I'm going to turn this over to Stephanie and let's, let's see where Caleb has chosen to start us out at here. Sounds good. Well, again, greetings everyone. And um, Jennifer, I don't know if you have a particular way to greet people. I don't want to want to botch it up, but I'll just say my American hello and welcome. And would you like to um, greet our guests? Hello, everyone. I can say um, good day from the land down under. That's probably a good greeting. <laughs> Thank you. With. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. And um, so I would say, Caleb, since you have a lot of knowledge in uh, um, maybe history about Australia, uh, I'm I would say to... a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, well, okay, and that and that's great. And I'm, I'm going to treat this like what I would consider an IRA explorer experience to be. Um, if I had the uh, pleasure of visiting Australia, um, I would connect with an IRA agent and Jennifer and I would be taking this journey together with our IRA agent. And what I would do is say, well, where are we? What do we have um, as far as choices, uh, things to see and do related to the um, Aboriginal peoples of Australia? What do you got, Caleb? So, um the, the site I brought up, I'm currently sharing my screen to anyone that, that uh, can see it. Um, I brought up the National Museum of Australia. They have an indig indigenous peoples collection. Um, and there's, there's a large wealth of information there. On the first page, though, it kind of is, is um, the launch point. There, the first uh, item there is called search indigenous and it says see indigenous objects in our collection explorer so that leads to the full collection where you can go through and pick individual items um, and on that button there's like an image of a aboriginal artwork looks almost like a some kind of creature a lizard i believe that has uh concentric circles all all around it uh and they're they're it's it's almost almost like mesoamerican style you know but it's got its own own style but it's it's very angular and circles you know it's like a bunch of angles mixed with swooping um swoop you know kind of curling lines and stuff as well uh the next main uh button that they have there has an image of an aboriginal man with a walking stick and a bag on his hat uh it says collaborating for indigenous rights 1957 to 1973 then there's another one that uh, it's, looks like it's for an exhibit called Aboriginal Breastplates. And it has several, looks like either bronze or gold um, breastplates that like, it's like a crescent moon. Some of them mm -hmm. are a little more boomerang shaped. Um, and like at the end of each crescent, there is a chain that I, I presume would go around the neck and, you know, let that plate hang over the chest. Um, so those are like the big three that like pop up when you first log onto the site. But if you keep scrolling down, they have collection highlights. So it's like some of the more popular um, items. And I can go through those and read those if you like. Yes. Well, and it sounds like from what you read a few moments ago, um, the movement, I don't know if it started in 1957, but it sounds like the civil rights piece was going strong from 1957 to 1973. If and, you like, I Jennifer, can click on that one and explore more. Yes, and and as you're getting ready to click that, Jennifer, please feel free to jump in with any questions or comments you have. I mean, this is pretty informal. So if you think of something you would, would want us to um, explore more, or if you want to add anything, um, please please don't hesitate to just just jump right in. I was just going to say that that period of time was actually a defining moment where legislation was changed in the 50s, the, uh, late 50s, mid-60s, where um, Indigenous and Aboriginal people had some more recognition and there was a lot, there was a lot of activity 
mm-hmm. around that period. Okay. Okay. Is there any, oh, sorry. I was going to say, is there, is there anything you think concerning the exhibits that we should uh, maybe have as a starting point or, or should we just let Caleb go for it? I think where Caleb is going to right now is a perfect place to start because as, okay. as I was saying, that was a time where there was some redefinition. Mm-hmm. Okay. So uh, they have a little blurb here about the period. It says the 15 years from the late 1950s to the early 1970s was a time of unusual collaboration between black and white activists in Australia. Alliances were formed between Aboriginal Australians motivated to help their people and white Australians wanting to redress the injustices suffered by dispossessed peoples in the building of the Australian state. This site tells their stories. And then there are several photos that are also links to to different um, categories. The first one here is civil rights. There's land rights, people, organizations. There's a timeline and there's uh, uh, additional resources. Are those civil first? Okay. The two worlds of post-war Australia. The majority. In the period following the Second World War, the vast majority of Australians lived in a world of houses serviced with water and power and where laws ensured social order. People on the whole had jobs to do and enough to eat and enough to eat. And if they didn't, government benefits and services helped them through hard times. Mostly they lived in or near city, cities. They were proud to be subjects of the queen and believed that they lived in a fair and just democracy. Unhindered by problems such as a as class distinctions in Britain or racial tensions in the United States or South Africa. There's a photo here. Uh, it's labeled Victory Celebration, Tranby College, Sydney, June 1967. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's a group of black and white people um, in a, uh, can't really tell what kind of room they're in. They're all holding glasses though. Some are wine, some are, some are beer glasses. Mm-hmm. Um, and they all appear to be toasting. There's one uh, black woman that kind of is the eye-catching part of the of the shot, like because she's staring straight at the lens and she's got a giant smile on her face. <laughs> and going, it says the indigenous minority. The other world was inhabited by people whose ancestors had lived in Australia for more than 65,000 years. By the 1950s, having lost land and livelihood, many were paupers living in humpies on the edge of town, rubbish dumps, and and earning occasional money as fruit pickers. They were not eligible for the dole or other state benefits which whites received. State laws told indigenous peoples where they were allowed to live, where they could and couldn't move, and who they could marry. They were often not the legal guardians of their own children. Local policemen controlled their earnings, doling out small amounts and pocket money according to the individual judgment or whim. In Queensland, the law even allowed mission managers to open and censor mission dwelling mission dwellers' letters. Bridging the gulf, there was little contact between the inhabitants of these two worlds. The majority either didn't know or didn't care about the sufferings of the minority. However, events in the late 1950s brought the sufferings of the few into the living rooms of the many. Some were both aware of Aboriginal disadvantage and doing what they could to address us address it. They recognized the potential to form a grassroots grassroots reform movement to bring the rights and protections of Australian citizens to the dispossessed Aboriginal population. And it goes civil rights activism. From the late 1950s, Aboriginal and non-Aboriginal activists came together to campaign for equal rights for Indigenous Australians and to bring about the repeals of laws which deprived Indigenous Australians of civil liberties. Quote, fight for civil rights is an account of seven key civil right campaigns in the 
activists and organizations that participated in them. It begins with the Warburton Ranges campaign in the 1950s. And then it's got links for those seven campaigns. Uh, if you like, I can read out the names and the descriptions or just the names of the campaign. I'm curious to know if there are any uh, paintings, photographs, artifacts that go along with the readings as, as you read them so we can get some um, visual content. Uh, on, on this page, there's just that, that photo. Um, there's, there's photos next to um, some of the other campaigns. Um, I know that in the, in the collections page, there's, there's a lot of like actual like artifacts and descriptions of, of artifacts and stuff. Um, I, I don't know if they had it, uh, cordon off. I didn't see any cordon off specifically to civil rights, but I could, I could definitely go back and check. That's okay. We can move forward. That's fine. Right. Uh, so the first fight for civil right was the Warburton ranges controversy in 1957. Uh, the Commonwealth government was testing nuclear weapons and firing rockets in the central desert, compromising indigenous people's health. Then in 1958 to 1959, Albert Naptajira and citizenship. Albert Naptajira, famed Arente artist, was not classified as a ward of the state by 1957 legislation and so became an Australian citizen. This prevented him from associating with relatives who were not citizens. Mm -hmm. 1954 to 64, social service benefits. The old age pension and unemployment benefits were not available to Aboriginal Australians in the 1950s. The Social Services Act was amended in 1959 to include them, but many impediments remained. I just realized I wasn't describing the pictures associated with this one. <laughs> the Social Services benefits, there's a picture of an Aboriginal mother. Um, she's got a infant child in a sling over her right shoulder, um, and she's got a toddler on her shoulders. The toddler has like uh wispy like kind of like a bob hair and a giant smile on his face the the mom has a smile on her face as well but it's 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 a mom that has two child children hanging from her smile <laughs> um for the albert namatajira um it's a close-up profile shot of of a of a indigenous man he's got very short cut hair um, he's wearing a, a suit, it appears. It looks like a blazer jacket. Uh, there are two white women um, looking on, and he appears to be looking down at, at something on the table in front of him. Okay. Okay. Then there is the Warburton Ranges controversy. And with that one, kind of hard to make out because it's a little bit of like a, a grainy photo. I'm going to just excellent is it a little bit but yeah it appears to be uh an in indigenous man he's wearing shorts and a uh, white shirt tucked into them he his back is to the camera and he appears to be addressing a a group of of white people he's got his hands kind of um splayed out to his side like kind of like almost like like a like a pleading kind of you know like pleading his case kind of gesture Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. The next one was from 1969 to 72. That's the Queensland Queensland Trust Fund. Uh, it's got a picture of there's four white people. They've got they've got signs. Uh, one of them says, "I'm trying to turn it." One of them says, "They took our land, and they are taking 
our home. And then there's two other ones, but I can't fully make out what they say. It says the Aboriginal Queensland Queenslanders who were under the act, quote, under the act, did not have the right to spend or manage their own money. They their earnings were paid into a trust fund and doled out to them by the local policeman as he saw fit. The campaign against the trust fund drew attention to this injustice. And there is the referendum, 1957 to 67. Uh, There is a picture of a man and a woman next to a sign that says, Aborigines Conference, Day of Mourning, Aborigines Only. Um, The man and woman appear to be white. Uh, There's four children in front of them um, as well. One of them has darker skin, but I think it might just be the uh, exposure of the of the black and white camera says after 10 years of campaigning, a referendum was held to change the Australian Constitution and recognize Aboriginal people as full Australian citizens. And there's the Freedom Ride of 1965. That was just got a photo of a of a bus passing in front of a building. Says in February 1965, a group of University of Sydney students organized a bus tour of Western and coastal New South Wales towns. Their purpose was to draw public attention to the poor state of Aboriginal health, education and housing. And then the last one here, equal wages, 1963 through 66. There's a picture of two appears to be Aboriginal men shaking. uh, I see one uh, one white man in the front. And then I see another white hand shaking the second second man's hand. Uh, It says for white civil rights activists in the 1960s, equal pay was the basic marker of acceptance and social inclusion in Australian society. However, the achievement of equal wages in the pastoral industry turned out to be a hollow victory for many. Hello, can you hear me? Okay, I can. Okay, I'm. I was having some audio and some video uh, challenges in my background, so I I just wanted to just check in. All right, thank you. So any of those can be expanded upon, um, or I can go back to the collection and we can look at some of the artifacts. And Jennifer, do you have a referendum? I was just going to say that referendum mm-hmm. is really a very defining moment. As some um, Caleb said, it took a huge amount of campaigning. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the other thing that was going on around this period or, and before is that a, a thing that was happening was that um, often um, Aboriginal children would be separated, taken from their parents, thinking that the the thinking was that children would education opportunity and um, life that would be, in quotes, better off in in what was referenced as the white system, and that went on for a long time. So that's caused a huge amount of, as you can imagine, um, intergenerational scarring and trauma which mm-hmm. still exists because, of course, those children have now grown up. They're still around. Um, so, and then, as you said, and this referendum one was a very important milestone, which really set the path for some other things that happened later on, which we haven't got to yet, which um, if it's not on this page, I'll, I'll reference, but I think it's worth looking at that referendum mm-hmm. if okay. there's any more about it. There is. Uh, I can expand yeah. upon that. Great. And while Caleb is doing that, I'm just taking in the fact that these children were taken away from their parents to be part of the white system, but they still weren't citizens. Isn't that amazing? I mean, just like, wow. The the disconnect. uh, Yeah. Yeah. uh, It just, I can see the generational scarring coming from that. 
Well, and it's the injustice, whether it's here in the U.S. or in Australia or other parts of the world, the injustice of separating families is it's just jaw-droppingly um, sad that people miss what what the impact is on a long-term basis. And, of course, the other part of that impact, immediate family, but it really impacted entire communities, elders and and the relationships within uh, villages or in different groups and because it would just break break that up. Mm-hmm. It was just extremely um, disempowering, completely traumatic yeah. um, and caused just further really division and, and resentment and a whole lot of other oh, yeah. terrible experienced emotions and, and behaviours that, you know, that would be, yeah. it was just completely, as you said, the injustice was just astounding. Yeah. And Jennifer, I'll ask you one more question um, before we let you go on, Caleb. Is there simultaneous to the civil rights movement? Is there um, entertainment, uh, artists, um, entertainers, actors, the like there uh, who are also like some of our actors here in U.S. um, giving a uh, using their platform for civil rights to speak out was was that also going on during that time? To your knowledge, um, actually, the people I can think of are later, but um, there is definitely people that do that, and um, there's people that spring to mind that were later, but I'm not sure about in, during that time. I'm sure there was. I just can't think at the moment. You're right. But right. one um, one um, artist that's, um, that springs to mind, which was quite a bit later, which we will mention in a minute, was Yossi Yindi. They're um, mm-hmm. musicians and were very successful for a while in the nineties, and um, a few, a couple of other things happened just mm-hmm. before then too. And um, but there's definitely artists and uh, musicians and and so forth that express um, mm-hmm. express what's happening and or not, and continue that. Uh, push for change in the civil rights movement, and and it rights. I mean, even it's ongoing because there's always the um, there's the whole discussion about reconciliation and how that occurs and and how that's progressing, and that's an ongoing, mm-hmm. an, an ongoing thing. Yes, I would imagine so. Okay, alrighty, Caleb. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna start with an audio clip if that's okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's petition gathering for the referendum. Is it but- title? By about, I can't remember the dates leading up to the referendum, but by about 65, 66, it had gained momentum. And we were given petitions, and these petitions were brought down, you know, uh, brought down to Victoria, and it was our job to get names on them. And uh, Doug and I, I was employed by the Advanced League then as a field officer, and then we used to go up to Smith Street, Collingwood, uh, with a little card table outside of Old Foy and Gibson, which is not there anymore, and Doug would be yelling out, give Aboriginal citizenship rights, and he'd be dragging people. And Doug was like uh, chewing gum to anyone because if he put his hand on them, they'd come right to the table. You know, uh, he could mesmerise them, Doug, and get them there. And it was Doug's job to lead them to the table, and here's me sitting at the table getting people to sign. But we signed those petitions there, but we also had a good spot outside the Collingwood football ground on home matches, outside the the uh, Collingwood member stands. Now, Collingwood footballers, uh, that black and one eye or one-eyed, that normally they just rush into the grandstand to get their seat. But this particular day, 
Doug Nichols again as they were walking in, and everybody knew Doug. I mean, Doug was a household name. He was better known than Henry Bolte, who was the the premier at the time. As soon as they see Doug, they couldn't resist Doug. So he'd lead them to the table and we get these petitions. And we got a lot of petitions signed. And so did all the other workers in Victoria. Mm-hmm. So that was Alec Giacomo's Federal Council for the Advancement of Aborigines and Tourist Strait Islanders Oral History Project, 12 December 1996, Australian Institute of Aboriginal and Tourist Strait Islander Studies. I guess it's just mm-hmm. a citation there. So there you go. Um- Stephanie, you were asking about uh, athletes and artists and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, next, like expanding upon the referendum, um, there's a there's a photo here on on the page, and it's labeled Aunt Celia and Granny Monsell campaigning in Brisbane for a yes vote. And maybe Jennifer could, might could explain a little more who who they are, or I could Google it as well. Um, but they are sitting on a like a a big flatbed like semi truck. Um, they've got like like a parade float kind of kind of deal going on, and I can see vote yes. I can see equal on there and then there's there's also a boomerang but there's a bunch of people standing on the back so it's hard to see all of the banners um there's two uh elderly aboriginal woman women and then there's a bunch of children around them both white and aboriginal Mm -hmm. Uh, says in 1967 after 10 years of campaigning a referendum from a referendum was held to change the Australian constitution. Two negative references to Aboriginal Australians were removed, giving the Commonwealth the power to legislate for them as a group. This change was seen by many as, rec- as a recognition recognition of Aboriginal people as full Australian citizens. Very the referendum good. campaign effectively focused public attention on the fact that Aboriginals and Torres Strait Islanders Australians were second-class citizens with all sorts of limitations, legislative and social, on their lives. This decade-long campaign to change the Constitution came to symbolize the broader struggle for justice being fought during these years. Activists presented the case for a Commonwealth government, which would be prepared to take responsibility for Indigenous citizens wherever they lived for the first time. And then I I just want to jump in real quick and and ask a question. And um, Jennifer, you may know the answer, or Caleb, you may uh, Google it. I'm hearing the term Aboriginal um, Australians, and then I think it's Torres Strait Islanders. Is there a significant difference, uh, or are they all Aboriginal? Is that correct terminology? Uh, so, according to Wikipedia, here Torres Strait Islanders are the indigenous peoples of the Torres Strait Islands, which are the part of the state of Queensland, Australia. Ethnically distinct from the Aboriginal people of the rest of Australia, they are often grouped with them as indigenous Australians. Today, there are many more Torres Strait Islander people living in mainland Australia than on the islands. Okay. okay. There's a little bit of more information about it. I can I can read if you like. Uh. I think that answers my basic question because I'm I, I didn't know if the terms were interchangeable or if there really was a, a difference. So yeah, I think I'm comfortable. Yeah, I found that very interesting as they were including, you know, those two populations. And this mm-hmm. is one of those stories that really kind of overlaps our own indigenous First Nations peoples and the struggles of African Americans, actual blacks. And 
the first time I heard Aborigines in Australia referred to as blacks, it kind of blew my mind. I was like, wait mm -hmm. a minute, what? No. <laughs> but this is one of those just stories that kind of mixes those two groups in our mind as people in, you know, North America and the way we see history. Um, and it just it kind of turned my head upside down for a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the other message about that too, of course, is that just that the, that the tremendous struggle and it, the, the struggle that's, that happened previously and the struggle that's still going on mm -hmm. in both groups. And it's a unifying, um, yeah. a unifying factor. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, I will ask as we're kind of looking around at kind of other things in this museum and we kind of go towards some of the more Aboriginal maybe art and things like that. Um, so, Jennifer, are there kinds of unrest like there are here in the United States, like where we had riots this past summer? Are, do things like that happen in Australia? It sounds like a dumb question, but but I'm kind of curious. Um, it's not a dumb question at all. There's occasional protests. And then it's funny you mention that because um, the one point which hasn't been resolved, which has always been ever since the beginning, so, um, and by the beginning I mean by when First Nations were in the country many, many thousands of years ago, and then, of course, all those other people came along on the 26th of January and... Um, uh, started to live in in Australia, um, or in state it was became Australia later on the foundation in 1901. But uh, the point of that is that that date of the 26th of January by the Indigenous community is a day of invasion, and so um, tw January 26th has just passed. So that is still on uh, a still a really emotional, uh, uh, difficult day. For many people, um, for people that uh, that came from England and Europe and other places, through, and Captain Cook and all of that, um, see it as a celebration and um, a founding day of the country, of Australia, uh, sort of being in a new land and so on. Uh, but Aboriginal Torres Strait Islanders, is, um, of course, all, uh, view that as uh, Invasion Day. And there's been a lot of discussion, um, some peaceful protests about um, a changing the day to something that's less divisive, mm -hmm. um, or not having it at all. And that is something that is on, an ongoing thing. And uh, understandably, it's a very difficult issue to try and resolve, yeah. work through. Boy, that sounds um, familiar. It just is. It sounds Columbus does, yeah. Day here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask. Just conscious of time, I wanted to ask if there's anything on this page about uh, later on there was a very monumental land rights bill that went through called Marbo, and I was wondering if there's anything about that on this page. Mm -hmm. um, I did not see that mentioned. There's like a little, like a timeline here. Um, it might fit. Probably 1980s, uh, late 80s, it was 80s. if it's going to be anywhere. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think there was a land rights um, link or exhibit early on. What was the name of it? They've got a search fe feature. I can use it. I think Marbo? it was called Mar Marbo. And the, the reason I mention it is because this was a um, another very significant moment where it really initiated um, giving back uh, land, recognising land ownership um, by Aboriginal Indigenous Australians. 
And it was a thing was called the National Mabo Agreement, and it was a very um, it was a monumental piece of legislation in the late eighties, because in, until that time there was not a lot of recognition for any of that. And there are there are places like, or perfect example is, of that um, is as a consequence, Ayers Rock has now been given back its indigenous name called Illaru, um, mm. and it's Illaru, and it's um. Yeah, that's a direct consequence of that sort of legislation where ownership and Indigenous land rights are, are, are recognised. And you guys, we can have something like that here. <laughs> that's a whole other seven oh, yeah. shows. <laughs> and it's an ongoing. It's an ongoing thing. It's sure um, about. It's it allows for the for for it to occur as appropriate. Um, it's um, and it has, and that was in a conciliatory and. Uh, mm proper way it's not open slather so to speak but it's in an orderly fashion mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. interesting i i really wanted to visit Ayers rock when i was in australia and i simply didn't have time given my the schedule that i was on but um i i are you no longer allowed to walk on the rock at all either i believe I was about to say that um yeah and that's one of the things to and part of it was really about preservation because the amount of um, human uh, tourism uh, damage impact either to the rock or rubbish left behind and things yeah. is unfortunately it does bits a little bit desecrated. So the decision was made. That was really a big part of it, and to preserve it as a sacred sure. piece of land. Mm -hmm. Sure, mm -hmm. which I think is that I would much rather have it that way than you know. And that's only happened recently in the last year or so. Yeah, that's. I thought I remembered seeing that that people were no longer, and you can see it from afar, which is wonderful. Um, but no more walking up the rock, which, and definitely no more climbing on the parts that you would do any mountain climbing on, which is um, probably it's about time for that to happen. But well, that's what reconciliation, at least somewhat, looks like. We could take note of that. <laughs> Interesting. You know, acknowledge so, it. Yeah. So, what have what have you found, Caleb? Uh, there is a pretty pretty lengthy article they've written here uh, under their category defining mobit moments. The Mabo dis. Well, maybe we can um, at least hear a bit of it. Um, again, in the interest of time, and um, maybe if there's any artifacts that can be described um, that would help again with context and what things were looking like. That sound okay? Let's do it. And folks, in case you were wondering, we are at the National Museum of Australia. I imagine this is one museum that would take at least a few days to go through to really drink in all of the history, the rich history of the country. Caleb, did we lose your Oh, no. And I think hopefully we will get Caleb back here in a minute. I think we did lose him for just a minute. But... Um, well, while we're waiting for Caleb to come back, though, Janine, we have um, a uh, about the the promo too. We do. Hang on, let me. Yeah. There we go. Up and here is Caleb back again. But Sorry well, about that. Z there Zoom we just crashed on me for some reason. Ah, <laughs> no worries, no worries. So, um, Caleb, while you are getting back up and going, oh, I'm back. All right, and he is back up. Here we go. 
Uh, but yeah, so there's a photo of Eddie Koiki Mabo at Lost Murray Island, 1989. It's an Aboriginal man sitting in front of um, some some kind of like jungle trees. It looks like like bamboo. Uh, mm-hmm. There's also what looks to be like a, uh, a I believe it's a, a fish trap. Just from from what I know, you know, of kind of the the people and how they would fish and that kind of stuff. Basically, what it is, it is it's like a big cone it's kind of hanging in the trees which uh you know like maybe to dry um but it's like a big cone that is i can't tell what type of uh like branches or whatever whether it's bamboo or whatnot but they these branches are tied together in a way that they create this like kind of funnel shape Hmm. um and oh and there's also a fishing net uh over over his left shoulder so that would lead me to believe that that probably is a fish trap um but he's got a real big smile on his face like it's kind of a uh his the left left cheeks a little cocked higher than the right he's kind of you know it's it's got a little little cheeky grin <laughs> and so he maybe caught caught lots of fish that day or beat somebody in competition yeah yeah it's just like like today's my day kind of look. <laughs> um and I can read this article if you like, or I can um, continue. There's a couple other photos here. I can describe those first. Um, you know, let, let's uh, let's dive into the article a little bit, and then we we might stop uh, again in in understanding that we we have so much, and we know we won't cover it all. But at least let's let's get a little bit of the article. For sure. It says, on the 3rd of June, 1992, the High Court of Australia recognized that a group of Torres Strait Islanders led by Eddie Mabo held ownership of mayor in quotations murray island in acknowledging the traditional rights of the Merriam people to their land the court also held that native title existed for all indigenous people this landmark decision gave rise to important native title legislation the following year and rendered terra nullius a legal faction there's a quote here by eddie uh it says my father told me son this land would belong to you when i die and then there's a photo underneath of um, tradition. It's labeled traditional mayor Murray Island dancers, and the uh, it's a group of men. Like they're in like a real long line, like processional line. There's probably 30, 30 people at least, kind of in a line, and they're all in super ornate kind of headdresses and like um, uh, outfits and stuff. Uh, very, very um, Native American reminiscent, um, except the, the, their headdresses. So it looks like, so they're, they're almost like a, like a big horseshoe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so, so it's like a large, large horseshoe that like extends up about half a foot um, above them. And it's like the, the, the fans. So it, it's, it's, kind of like a horseshoe shaped fan. It's got like fringes on the end and at the top, it's kind of, kind of split. So almost, it could also kind of look like wings, you know, um, in, in a way. Uh, and then there's actually like a helmet that kind of goes down to their, um, to like their brow. And it appears to be, appears to be metal or it could, could maybe be a carved wood. It's hard to tell with the black and white. Um, but it is, it is it's itself, pretty ornate like it's got um it's got like a center center pillar down and like there's there's 
holes kind of cut into the helmet. Like kind of, if you imagine like a tall, um, kind of Roman helmet, but with like, um, stylized holes, they're kind of, the holes kind of look like almost, uh, like a Paisley pattern or like commas, Mm. um, on them. (laughs) And, and then like from that helmet, like right across, like the center of it, you know, like going from ear to ear is where the, the horseshoe goes and it fans out. And it goes down past their chin. Wow. So like, so it's a pretty, like the whole, the whole like headdress is probably a foot and a half tall. It looks yeah. like headdress. Um, they, uh, it appears that most of them, if not all of them are carrying spears. Uh, the, the guys in the front of the line, they are like crouching down. They're in like a like a crouch pose. Like they like their their back is almost parallel with the ground, um, and they're they've got their their spears to their side. Their faces uh, straight forward, and they're kind of like a prowling. Um, there's actually there's actually two of the guys that they look like they've kind of diverted away from the line a little bit, and they're like uh, kind of hamming it up straight to the camera. Like they're both looking right at the camera. One of the guys has his tongue out and it's like real big and wide. Um, the other guy's just kind of, kind of staring. Um, as the line goes back though, it looks more like, like they're kind of just waiting, you know, they're just kind of standing around the, the, uh, you know, kind of more casual poses. So it looks like it's like a progressional. And as they get to that spot, like they kind of hunker down and get into go mode. Um, their dress, they are, shirtless except for they have kind of looks like like palm fronds or some kind of leaves um wrapped around their their biceps and then they have it's it's a little hard hard to tell with with the picture but they have some kind of like pants but with like a uh leaf skirt or some kind of fringe over over top of them um and so like like around around their knees around their elbows there's the kind of like a a, a fringy Mm-hmm. looks like looks like it's fronds of like some kind but it also could be feathers I'm not fully positive and the tongue out gesture i know from the maori in new zealand um it, looking at one of their museums a while back um that that tongue out gesture is threatening that's not like that sticking my tongue at it that is a threatening gesture and oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it, yeah it is <laughs> His yeah. face, like like his his nose, is real kind of like scowled up. Um, his eyes are very like like yeah. He definitely doesn't doesn't look like he's being silly. <laughs> yeah, I I found that interesting. I um, actually went to the Polynesian Cultural Museum and they had some of the artifacts and the spears are really ornately carved, and some of them had the the figures with the tongue sticking out. And I you know I. Oh, that's really funny. Oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I was taught very quickly that is not a funny gesture. So, really interesting how things like that move. Well, we have Jennifer for just a few more minutes. Stephanie, is there anything that you would like to ask her? You know, um, for example, uh, blind folks in Australia, let's say, what about the, the Aboriginal blind folks? Are they pretty much... A integrated into society or 
mm-hmm. you know, how how is that working? Because I know, like, here in the U.S., even up through the 60s, there were separate schools for the blind for blacks and whites. Is that the case in Australia for blind people? Um, happy to say no. The, the integration um, is very strong, whether it be um, so there might be schools for people who are blind and vision impaired, but people are... Um, there's no separation as such. Um, where there is some work to do is around connecting into communities and that's ongoing just to deal with culture because, of course, there's education in communities as well as education in the main school system and mm-hmm. both occur sometimes in parallel and other times separate. But um, there, is some, uh, there are people in schools um, in mainstream um, education and then um, there's still some things, cultural and other things that still occur separately. So there's a little bit in parallel as well as, um, um, and there's all the challenge is all um, still, and and will be that being able to reach out to people who are blind and vision impaired through, um, and actually reach deep into communities and to engage in the culture. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, there are groups that do that. For instance, first first networks people in Australia. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, company I work for does some has Aboriginal forums that we engage engage people to come together as well. Oh, mm-hmm. great! Um, so there's a whole lot of things yeah. that are going on um, in in the background, and that that's really pushing to integrate and to be able to understand. I think a lot of uh, barriers are around understanding or, or not of, of different cultures and and the experience and why things are and how they've come to be. And I think that's an ongoing process. I'm hoping that's improving and there's a lot more awareness both in the public now, mm-hmm. um, for instance, and in sports and anything like that, there's a lot more um, respect and acknowledgement of those cultures. So there'll be um, acknowledgement of country in every meeting uh, anything formal, um, sporting events, all sorts of things. This is knowledge and of country and the land that's referenced that the Aboriginals, um, which Aboriginal land it is, an event might be being held on, for example. So there's a lot of work being done and there's a lot still to do uh, just to bring people closer together. Mm-hmm. I and think that was just wonderful. Sort of. yeah. yeah. That's, I, I mean, and, and Janine, you, you, you're, question was similar to what I was going to ask. And I, you know, again, I just want to thank you, Jennifer, for spending time with us and really putting some local um, perspective um, on all of this. um, Because again, we're two different countries with two different struggles, but the common through line is civil rights of indigenous people and not just indigenous people, but let's just be candid people of color and, uh-huh. and uh, you know, that's, um, uh, you know, the, the, the commonality. And um, I think the shared vision is we, we all uh, want to be respected for who we are and what our culture brings, whether we have immigrated to a land or our indigenous people or were enslaved, brought to a land, enslaved, et cetera. So uh-huh. I really appreciate it you um, being available for us today. You're welcome. And I I want to say I really hope the day will come, whether it's in my lifetime or in the future, where um, 
there's just much more acceptance and unity. And I think we're working towards that and I really hope that continues. Um, being human after all, and I think there's so much that, as you said, different cultures and perspectives can bring so much enrichment to how people live and we need to embrace that and I hope that continues. Agreed. Now, who do you work for? What is the organisation that you work for? Because we'd love to so give the them organization, a the organisation I work for is called Blind Citizens Australia. Our yeah. mission statement is to inform, connect and empower, and that's all people who are blind or vision impaired, regardless of culture, ethnicity, mm -hmm. or background. Mm -hmm. um, and so part of our work is uh, reaching, uh, connecting and gaining closer connections with Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders um, and engaging engaging that way through forums and, and other things. So um, if you're interested in reading more about it, the, the website is bca.org.au, bca.org.au. Great. And we'll have Ryan put that up in the chat and in the on the uh, YouTube uh, chat page, comments page. And also BCA are wonderful partners with IRA. They have been partners with us since the beginning, since we um, came into Australia. And we're really proud to be working with them, um, especially on some of the issues of getting IRA for folks through the NDIS. And we're really happy about that. So thank you so much, Jennifer for joining us this is this has been awesome and uh we we hate to lose you <laughs> lose you but um if we understand you're probably going to need to go here in a few minutes so thank you so much for joining us yes thank you thank you for having me here and it was great to be part of of the session yes Speak with you, you all another time yes most definitely, oh, definitely. love the museum here <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. So we and can. Janine, probably... I do have mm -hmm. thoughts about other museums, so we'll oh, leave them. I was going to ask. Absolutely. Gonna ask. Send them on. <laughs> Absolutely. Please There's email me others. some others yeah. that you would mm -hmm. like us to cover, and we will definitely do that because we are looking in this last few minutes. We'll go into kind of our announcement mode here because we could probably be at this museum all day with Caleb and looking oh, at yeah. these <laughs> artifacts. I do have one thing, the one link that I found. Oops. There we go. At an organization called Australia Together. And there is a really short video that I don't, Caleb, if you have that link up from the email. Yeah. Oh, awesome. <laughs> so let's take a look at this because this really brought it home to me that what we do here in this country, we sometimes think, oh, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, we're just doing it here. But where do you see what an impact this had around the world? So, all right. Titled Charlie Perkins Segregation. Although Australian citizenship was finally extended to include Indigenous Australians in 1948, Indigenous issues weren't high on the national agenda during the decades spanning the Depression and the Second World War. But then, in the 1960s, around the time of the civil rights movement in the US, Australia too had advocates much like Martin Luther King Jr. rise up from within the Indigenous community. These courageous men and women began campaigning for a change in the way Indigenous Australians were treated by the government and society. Inspired by the African-American freedom riders in the American South, Charlie Perkins organised a similar bus tour in 1965, protesting illegal segregation in public facilities like swimming pools and theatres. 
This brought the plight of Indigenous Australians into lounge rooms all over the country. And so I became involved and we started planning for it. We said, let's go out to these country towns and expose, you know, the, uh, the deplorable living conditions of Aboriginal people, not only to white people and the nation as a whole, but to blacks. So that was the decision. Let's get out there and do something. What we're going to do, we didn't really know, but we were going to do something. And it was going to be pretty dramatic. And what we expected to find in Maury, as we all knew very well, was a lot of racism in terms of the town hall, in terms of the swimming pool, in terms of the picture theatres. It, it was a way of life. Aborigines sat down in the front of picture theatres, nowhere else, and you walked in when the lights went on. Women don't go into dress shops and touch any of the clothes. Once they touch them, they buy them. We're showing footage alternating of You don't get served first in the shop if there's some white people in front of you, you get served last. Oh, wow. You don't go into pubs. You only get served at night down the back streets. And so with some trepidation, we're heading towards Moree, knowing all of these things were happening, knowing there's a lot of racism and what we're going to do about it. And we saw some of the parents and we said, can we take the kids with us to the bars? And the parents said, that's fine. You know, the mothers particularly, take them for a swim. And, I, and they said, but you won't get in the bars. They're not allowed to go in. I said, oh, we'll at least try, we'll give it a try. And they were more revolutionary than anybody, so I, I just couldn't believe it. Bunch of children running and I said to the manager of the Bards, I said, you know, we'd like to go in, we'd like to buy so many tickets. And he said, well, you're not allowed in. And I said, why not? He said, because Aboriginal people are not allowed in the Bards. If they haven't got the health regulations, how would you get on? They can buy a meat and go in if I had sores or anything on them. Yes, but that's not the, the reason they're buying them. You go and read the council. Go and read the council motion. The council, the, the law of the council says that no Aboriginal. And I said, to the mayor, we're not going anywhere. Nobody's having a swim in Moree bars. If the blacks can't swim, the whites won't swim. He said, right. You've left me no alternative now, but to call in the police. And doesn't that sound familiar? Yes. Yeah. That that one shocked me, actually, because I didn't know that kind of thing happened. And I was like, wow, wow. And so, yeah. Well, racism is the through line. And yep. in this country and other countries, I'm sure, is not alone. And indigenous people all across the globe mm -hmm. have been um, unceremoniously pushed aside um, to further the interests of others who yeah. are in the quote dominant culture. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't have to be that way. I like what Australia is attempting to do to reconcile um, with the Aboriginal uh, Indigenous people. And I, um, yeah, I, I hope that happens everywhere at some level. And I know it can't be concurrent, but that it happens or at least gets started is a way back to healing and unity because you, you to, got to have South Africa did it with apartheid, you know, yep. you got truth and recon then reconciliation, but can't do acknowledgement of some truth. So God. there's a country that has a long way to go with that. Yeah. <laughs> And the wounds are pretty fresh, as Jennifer said. Um, and so, you know, it'll be interesting to see how things move along. Well, speaking of moving along, so 
Uh, we are changing up our schedule a little bit here, but next week isn't changing because next week is the Blind History Lady, and we are going to learn about blind people of color, and that's going to be pretty cool, and we're going to learn all about the Blind History Lady and her website and the just huge uh, realm of history that she has encompassed in her sight and in her brain because um, Peggy knows everything, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> so, and then we will announce what we're going to do on the 26th. We kind of changed our panel up a little bit. We're probably going to look at at least one other museum and we have some choices. So, we'll let you know next week exactly what we're going to do on the 26th. But that panel hasn't been forgotten. We're going to have that discussion. We may have it as part of the podcast though. So, now, about my shirt. I know I promised you all, you've all been waiting to find out about the shirt. So, Caleb, you want to describe curious. the shirt? Yeah, it is a black long sleeve uh, sweatshirt. In the in the center, right across the chest, is the blue Ira A logo. And next to it says Ira in the Ira font. And then underneath it, in, a, in, the, in the same font, it says Janine Stanley. Woohoo! Oh, you can customize. Yes, you can. And <laughs> you know, um, those of you who are familiar with a site called Zazzle, Z A Z Z L E, we have a Zazzle store, and Ryan has the Zazzle link that he is going to put up for everybody, so you can go there, get some Ira merch. And you can even get on, as I did with Caleb, and we made this shirt. You can actually go in there and customize the shirts. Um, I also have an Ira hoodie. That I have the the iconic black Ira hoodie. Wow. <laughs> That's a joke in the company is that everybody loves that hoodie because it's such a cool hoodie. But we have all kinds of stuff up there. There are uh, several different types of t-shirts. This happens to be a long-sleeved one. There are sweatshirts. There are a couple different kinds of hoodies. Um, and I would say if you are totally blind, you might want to get an agent to help you with some of the descriptions and sizing and things mm -hmm. um, and the customization. But you can absolutely do it and uh, get yourself some fun Ira stuff. We are going to be working here to uh, possibly get some Ira masks up there even. Caleb and I tried to do it, but I didn't have our login. So, you know, we, we, we may get that up there. Well, mm -hmm. I want to thank you so much, Stephanie, for being once again our amazing host of Afternoon at the Museum. You are welcome, and I'm glad to be a part of this. Glad for Caleb to, to be back with us, and Ryan. Um, I favor Ryan over the Ira Tech robot. <laughs> <laughs> he is and a lot Eugenie, better looking than the robot. The yes. robot, right. <laughs> and, and you, Janine, thank you so much. Um, you're awesome producer, and I, um, uh, I will say I enjoy working with this team, you guys. I'll make this hey. very easy for me. And, and we're going to miss you um, because Stephanie is going to be uh, doing stuff virtually and with uh, the gang in Washington, D.C. Uh, on the 26th. But never fear because we will have a guest host come in and we will take a look at, uh, at some museums and whatnot, see what trouble we can get into. Next mm -hmm. week, it's the Blind History Lady. This has been... Afternoon at the Museum from Ira, a description of life. For more information about Ira, visit www.ira.io.